There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Food and Psych podcast, where I, Kimberly Wilson, chartered psychologist and food enthusiast, take you through all things food and psychology. What does that mean? Well, it means that as well as looking at the emotional and psychological aspects of our relationship with food, I'll also be sharing with you updates from the world of nutritional neuroscience, which is the study of how diet affects the brain, and some thoughts on psychological theory for you to chew on in your own time. Today's episode is a food story where I sit down and talk to someone about what food means to them and what role it plays in their lives. So allow me to introduce you to Francesca Venzen. Francesca is a pastry chef who trained at Le Cordon Bleu in Canada before moving to London and working as a sous chef at Ottolenghi. So look out for her name in the upcoming Ottolenghi baking book coming out in the autumn. Hailing from Brazil, but with roots in Italy, in this episode, she introduces me to the wizardry of traditional Brazilian tapioca and discusses how much of the cultural history of Brazil, including slavery and colonisation, can be understood by following the movement of cassava, a popular traditional root crop. In this conversation, we discuss how food intersects with family and national identity, how leaving her home country made her feel more Brazilian, and what she considers to be the best thing that England has ever made. She's a very funny, intelligent, warm and honest woman, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. I think we should just start right at the beginning with who you are. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God. That's such a deep question. So, Francesca, Ven- well, how do I pronounce your surname? So, it's spelled V-E-N-Z-O-N, yeah. which I would say is, well, as a Brit. <laughs> Venzen. Venzen. <laughs> but how should it be? It's Venzel. Venzel. No, yes, French. That sounded French, isn't it? Well, oh. but it is very nasal. Okay, it's Vinzon, but then Vanzen is acceptable. And but what, where is your surname from? Would it be considered Brazilian? No, it sounds very different from all the Brazilians, but it's also not Italian. Although my family is Italian. Your both sides of your family are Italian. My mom's side, my grandmother was Italian, and my grandfather was indigenous. Okay. So if you see the pictures, you can actually see that he looks much more indigenous than Brazilian. And when you say he looks more indigenous than Brazilian, mm-hmm. what do you mean? So what is a Brazilian look as opposed to an indigenous look? Like I think South American indigenous people, they are very, they have a different skin color and the shape of the eyes and the ears is different towards like white people. In okay. So you can actually see the difference when you see pictures. So in terms of kind of indigenous, original, Amero-Indian, like Caribe, mm. Arawak 
the tribes, I suppose, mm. originally from South America versus, I guess what you're saying is um, what is traditionally Brazilian is a more European like, yeah. based mm-hmm. on the conquistadors yeah. <laughs> and the arrivals of, I guess, well, of everyone, like Portuguese and Spanish. Yeah, and of course, that's the vision I have because the region where I'm from is very European. Okay. There were tons of Europeans coming after the Second World War. But if you go to the other parts of Brazil, you will have much more mixes in relation like Africa and less from Europe due mm-hmm. to all the slaves and stuff that were in Brazil. It would be good to know what's kind of characteristic of the region where you come from. Cool. So Brazil is quite a big country. Mm-hmm. We have five different regions and there are three different time zones in okay. Brazil. So that you can you get an idea of how wide it is as a country. Mm. It's also very long. Like, really long. And I come from the very down south, on the border with Uruguay and Argentina. Okay. But I don't live technically on the border. I live more on the coast. As an outsider, if I went to where you're from, down down mm. in the south, versus another part of Brazil, what would be characteristic of, of your part of town? It's a bit tricky on that, because we have loads of the European thing. After the Second World War, we had lots of German, Italian and Polish people coming to Brazil. Mm-hmm. But we also, on that sense, we are more gauchos than actually Brazilian. What is gaucho? Gaucho is all the, the culture from Argentina, Uruguay and where I'm from, where people... It's like a, kind of like cowboys. Okay, ranches and... Yeah, and they don't have like those big plains and people on horses, leather heads and like open fire barbecues and stuff like that. That would be the whole idea. We are not very much Brazilian, I would say. What and do you mean by that? What, what, is, what is the stereotype then or the expectation of what a Brazilian is like? Um, I think most of Brazil see where I'm from as we are very cocky people. <laughs> <laughs> but I think but I am blaming that on because we were the first capital of Brazil. Ah, okay, so we've so, got kind of a heritage. So. Yeah, so we had all the rich families and everything. They would send kids abroad to study in Europe. And they would come back much more European than as the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. So we kind of got that feeling that everyone thinks we are superiors when we are not actually that. We are more reserved as people. Okay. Then if you go to Brazil, you'll see everyone is very social. But where I'm from, we kind of tend more to be more... Like, we're colder towards everybody else. But actually, I'm cold is a different description to reserved. So, it's, so would you say there is... Is that a distinction? Are you saying actually we're, we're cold? <laughs> yeah, than... we, we are cold. We're not very friendly with people that we don't know. So, yeah, and we are like, mm, we don't know you very much. So maybe let's keep our distance, you know, until we evaluate and you see how you, you know you are. And then if you're okay, and then we, we let you in. Has there been kind of historically... A need to protect yourself maybe that part of the world or is it is it more of a kind of heritage thing like actually I, yeah. we've never really needed the outside as much we've never really needed to be as friendly kind of based on that history of being yeah yeah i think it has more to do with that yeah we also tried separating from the rest of brazil at some point okay so that might have so, yeah, so I think <laughs> could be the reason why they actually think we are cocky so in terms of like winning friends and influencing people <laughs> I mean, and there are lots of parallels there now, perhaps, with uh, yeah. the British position in Europe. Yeah, exactly. And, and the kind of European idea yeah. that we think 
we can do without everybody else and we're special. Though. Yeah, clearly it didn't work, did it? Because we're still part of Brazil. <laughs> and obviously we wouldn't have been able to be a whole country just like the south region of Brazil. It would never work. So you told me about the characteristic differences in personalities. What are the, or are there any food differences? I'm pretty sure the south region has the biggest cattle mm-hmm. in the whole of Brazil. So oh, it makes oh. sense with the gauchos. And yeah, so wine. we have mm-hmm. lots of, uh, we have beef, I think it's known that's very good where I come from. But then if you go north-wise in Brazil, they don't have so much meat because it's very dry. Okay. There is some parts like a desert in the middle of Brazil, so they don't actually produce meat very much. But then they have more roots, like okay. cassava, potatoes, and things like that. Most crops are in the center part of Brazil, mm-hmm. where there is more rivers, water, and I think the ecosystem is better for all the crops. And then, basically, most of the north region is the Amazon, so mm-hmm. you don't actually have any room to plant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're, less, we're not allowed like, to go in there. Yeah, like mm-hmm. vegetables and stuff. So, so would that mean that growing up... Um, meat and barbecues or that kind of thing were a big feature of your life? Oh, well, that's a tricky one because I am much more of an Italian family than a Brazilian family. Okay, so I mean, that's that's an interesting, because that was the assumption on my part, but obviously Mm. that's um, quite important to understand that your own family has its own tradition, which then mingles with the the Brazilian tradition. So what what is the food tradition? Traditional? What is the food (laughs) tradition for... The Vensons. Well, my father never liked barbecues very much. Because the whole idea of barbecue is not just barbecue. It's the whole thing. So you start really early on the days, on Sundays especially. So barbecue day is always Sunday. And it also mingles a lot with football. Because the matches happen on Sunday. The biggest matches. So it's like a whole tradition of you get everyone together. And then... Women take care of like potato salad, onions and stuff. Men do all the meat. Men do the meat. Salt the meat and then they on the fire. It takes ages to cook the meat because it's a whole piece of meat. So it's like three, four hours. And then Oh, like a whole side of beef or a whole Yeah, it's like a whole thing of meat. So it takes ages. So not a little British couple of oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not no no, that's not how you do it. You make like a big crust of salt around the pieces of meat and then you cook them mm-hmm. and then as usually kids get very impatient while we are waiting because ain't nobody got time for four hours waiting <laughs> to eat we usually have chicken hearts mm-hmm. on the skewer mm-hmm. most people find it's gross it's delicious i think i would <laughs> have if hearts. i hadn't been to you know one of those brazilian barbecue places mm-hmm. where they come up and just well basically <laughs> just just put meat piles of meat until you literally say please yes stop don't i can't come near me again no yes the chicken hearts um familiar with and also delicious yes they are Um, very good i love them and it's traditional for like children chicken hearts oh it's like an appetizer before the whole meat starts so while everybody else is waiting to keep the children occupied they can have also very traditional we have the kids table and have the adults table so you grew up with this sense of a kind of cosmopolitan like kind of crossover mm, yeah um yeah that's why i mean when i say that i think i am more italian because mm-hmm. i grew up eating like polenta and eating pasta and having so having the barbecue tradition on sundays it was never what happened my family would be like formula one in the mornings ah. yeah and then just pizza 
would be my to-go food for Sundays. Okay. Then everyone getting together, making pizza, you know, and those very long meals. <laughs> four hours. <laughs> those, those Italian meals where a starter is a massive bowl of pasta <laughs> and then you're supposed to be able to carry on from there <laughs> with <laughs> bread and together so that you can actually dip the bread in the sauce of the pasta yes I remember like my first proper like non-numbed um, mm-hmm. Italian meal and being presented with this piece of lasagna which I'm not even joking it was like it was like A5 like a piece of paper it was that big it was like A5 size piece of lasagna <laughs> And I was like, mmm, delicious, thank you so much. And then she brought out the main course, which was like roast lamb. I was like, you, you must be joking. Um, so I, I learned to pace myself from, from then on. Um, so with the, the pasta and the polenta, would those have been homemade? Or how easy was it kind of when your grandparents came over or later on for them to be able to find traditional Italian foods? Well, I think they brought all that with them, you know, and they were very known for being hardworking because they got, by the time they arrived in Brazil after the Second World War, the my state was not very developed as a, mm-hmm. a place still, so they had to build everything mm. from the beginning. So they brought all the crops, everything, so, mm. yeah. And they, they came because of the Second World War, was that? Yeah, they ran away from the Second World War. Because my great-grandfather, he was in a concentration camp in Italy, oh, yeah. under Mussolini. Yeah. And oh, then he ran away. Wow. I, I think it was in a potato barrel. Rumor is in the family that he ran away in a potato barrel. I never got the chance to ask. But so this then, is kind of part of the family legend. Yes. And then they went to Brazil, and then... That's how my family is there. Nowadays, I think it's like 20% of my city is Italians. So you can see how now it's already much more. There is other kind of people, you know, not just Italians. And does that make the food scene then much more diverse, do you think, than it would be in other areas? Or am I kind of overgeneralizing? Crazy enough? No. (laughs) (laughs) If you go to my city, the only thing you're going to find to eat is Italian food. Okay. It's just like pizza, chicken, pasta. But then if you go to the surrounding, to the other cities nearby, there are German, and then of course you're only going to have German food. And then if you go to the Polish one, it's only Polish. So, Because hmm. I think we underestimate, I mean, there's a lot of, we're talking now kind of at the end of May and coming up to the general election and everything that's happened in the UK around I think Brexit and immigration and I think the maybe or maybe it's just me that we underestimate actually how much immigration shapes other parts of the mm. world as well that it's not just Europe and because you know Europe was so close to our our neighbors you know we have just tiny tiny borders mm-hmm. actually there are huge parts of the rest of the world where yeah the the history and culture of immigration and, and refugees mm-hmm. has shaped the the culture and, and obviously the food landscape and and how people live yeah. i think that's really important that's really super interesting you mentioned um the well it's not even a stereotype you said it was true that the people from your town are cold <laughs> yes heartless mean <laughs> um but i wonder how that compares to the well maybe it's um, an outsider's view so my outside view of uh, Brazilians in general is 
um, you all like to party, that you're all on the beach <laughs> in bikinis, <laughs> in bikinis. Um, and then you all go to carnival. Um, it's the senses of just a generally, well, actually to balance that also, there's the that real contrast between the poverty and um, the favelas and the inequality. But is there anything, I don't know, do people kind of, when you tell them you're Brazilian, is there something people tend to always say to you or mm. always expect you to do? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, and is it true or is it just nonsense? No, yeah, the first thing I get, once I say my name, they're like, ah, but you're Italian. And I'm like, no, Spanish, no. And then I say Brazilian, they're like, ah, Brazilian. And the first thing I've heard many times, ah, but you are white. Ah. first thing so for people most of Brazil is black which makes a lot a lot of sense because mm-hmm. we have 50 shades of everything mm-hmm. in Brazil and then they're like yeah there is not only black people in Brazil there is some white people here and there you know in Brazil but I think that's really important because the I mean and I think there's really something really interesting about the way that Brazilians describe the different shades mm. of um Brazilian people and you will use kind of coffee yeah. terms like <laughs> caramel and latte and Americano and but which on one level makes it seem quite um, kind of innocuous like quite nice mm. it's we're all delicious beverages mm. but is there is there another side to that you know is there a difference to I mean I guess my point is that um, colorism um, is a big issue caste systems in yeah. India and in uh, the West Indies in Africa where fairer skins are more prized mm. and considered more attractive and considered more delicate or or less animalistic or whatever mm. is that a similar is there a similar thing that happens in Brazil or is it a different kind of experience do you I think, think- I think Brazil is probably one of the most racist places. Really? Yeah. Like, in general. I've heard people saying that. And, like, the city where I come from, it took a long time for any black person to arrive in the city. Like, my mom, she still remembers the first time she saw a black person. Because she came from this town where everyone was white. So then, although most of our population has some kind of mix, it's still very much... Like, ah, you know, Mm. it is very racist, but I think we don't have anything that's different from any other country, Mm. you know, so I wouldn't say that black people in Brazil, they suffer more or less than anywhere else in the world, because I think the problems are the same, Mm. you know, it's very hard if you go to university and you have a, a black professor, for example, it's very difficult for black people in Brazil to overcome, you know, I think on that I think we're very similar on that, like, to the States, you know, where most of the population in Brazil that's black, they're usually poorer, you mm-hmm. know, they, they live in the worst places in Brazil, they have less opportunities than white mm-hmm. people, you know, so I think on that, yeah, we have a long way mm-hmm. to go, you know, on... And is it something that that the government, as far as you, I know you've been out of, mm-hmm. of Brazil for a while, but... Um, is it something that people are actively working against, or is it just is it just accepted that these inequalities exist and therefore is there maybe even a sense that the 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 underclass the black groups are, are bringing it on mm. themselves like what is the 
um, I guess, a kind of atmosphere around it. I have the feeling that, that now it's starting to change, that we have more people engaged in any kind of uh, inequality, so that black people matter as much as white people, and then you have feminism is really big in Brazil now, and all the gay community has mm -hmm. had a lot of support now. So I think this new generation, I hope, you know, it's actually going to do something mm -hmm. to change that. Because clearly it makes no sense. You know, we are a country that is based on black culture. You know? I mean, it's so much. I mean, yeah, it's extraordinary. Like mostly, so, right? like almost everything we have in Brazil comes from the black culture. You know, most of it, it's a mix of Africa and Brazil. So I don't actually understand mm. it very well. Yeah, I mean, that's why it's so interesting. And, and it makes me wonder whether it's just the nature of the historical... Um, Uh, the historical arrivals mm. so in your town for example it was wealthy white Europeans that set mm. it up versus the history of the of the black Brazilians would have been through slavery so yeah. already you have that kind of dichotomy between the status and maybe that just repeats itself mm. it trickles down intergenerationally just keeps going on and on and on yeah. but I think that's really important it, it surprised me when and maybe again this is talking about my stereotypes it surprised me when you said Um, that feminism is so big mm. in Brazil at the moment. And I suppose for me, what I'm really aware of, I'm not sure if it's still Brazil, but that it's the kind of, or it was the cosmetic surgery capital of the world. Yeah. <laughs> or that there's a, <laughs> that there's a real um, expectation for people, especially women, to yeah. have a very particular physical shape. You know, yeah. kind of, um, I had a Brazilian friend of mine say, Um, she felt very inadequate because she was very slim and and all the other girls had a guitar body. She said, yeah. you know, curves here, going in out here and then coming out again. Mm. Um, and she felt so, so different that she, she had a, mm. a boob job and, and because she wanted to, to fit in. Yeah, all my um, friends have boob jobs. Oh, really? A, I think out of five people, four that I know have had some kind of plastic surgery. Mm -hmm. Any kind of aesthetic. We are obsessed with looking good it's crazy teeth is something that's insane <laughs> you go to Brazil and everyone wears braces everyone as a teenager everyone goes through the face I haven't because my parents said we're not doing that it's super expensive you're not doing that don't worry <laughs> but apart from me I think most of everyone I know has worn braces at some point mm -hmm. in life because you need this perfect white smile along with gorgeous hair long hair Mm -hmm. Because short hair, immediately you become a lesbian if you have short hair. So it's like, oh, no. So really, even to yeah. that level, that yeah. actually long hair is feminine and yeah. women with short hair are lesbians. I mean, yeah. this is quite the stereotype. <laughs> and then the whole thing of you need to go to the gym at least three, four times a week. You need to be super healthy. You need to be pretty all the time. So it, it is crazy. Mm. It's a bit sad. And then you go and you have everyone looking the same. What do you mean? Well... Taking me, for example, if you go to Brazil and you meet all my friends, they all look the same. All have long hair. They all go to the gym. <laughs> they are all e healthy eating people. No, so. And what do you mean when you say healthy eating? Because, you know, there's not necessarily anything wrong with healthy eating. Oh, yeah, no, it's just the whole fitness, uh, chicken, sweet potato, for, you know, so muscles and to be, you know, strong, no sugar, no... So a kind of dairy. clean eating. Yeah. Mm. Yes, yes. <laughs> we've had, uh, well, you wouldn't have, well, actually, it's really interesting because um, uh, obviously there's been a massive clean eating backlash and you 
pedal cakes to yes. people <laughs> every week and ice cream uh, for yeah. a living mm-hmm. so how have you I guess I'm thinking about the way you've moved from this very aesthetic driven um, culture obsessed with health and fitness to to the, to the UK which I don't know is going through its interest its own thing with food at the moment now um, and your position of, of being a pastry chef mm-hmm. you know what how did you get to be a pastry chef maybe we should start there well I've always loved eating Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Always. Always. Every kind of memory I have, it's always related to food. You can ask me, oh, you remember him? I'm going to say no. But if you ask me, I remember every restaurant I went as a kid. (laughs) What I had to eat in every one of the restaurants. So when I finished high school, I went to university and I graduated in law. Okay. But I graduated, I was really young. I was 21 when I finished. I worked six months in a lawyer's office and I was like, this is really not for me. And if I have to do this my whole life, I'm going to be very, very sad. Like, really depressed. <laughs> so then Alex, my husband, he asked me, he was like, if you had all the money in the whole world and you didn't have to work, what would you do? And I said, I would just eat. <laughs> Basically, my name, he was like, well, but you can't eat all the time, so you need to find something. And then I was like, ah, maybe I could go into cooking. You know, but then mm-hmm. I don't like savory food that much because I find it's the chefs are gonna kill me now for what I'm gonna say, but Sorry, I, I find it's easier to fix things if you're a savory chef. You can always add a little bit more of this, mm-hmm. a little bit more of that, so it's more flexible. Whereas pastry, you have to be really precise in what you're making. Are you suggesting you know, that you need to be more skilled as a pastry no, chef? No, you need a different <laughs> set of skills when you are a pastry chef because you need like. You need to be focused mm-hmm. for a longer period of time, you know, because savory chefs, they need to be focused, like service is crazy and they're making three million things at the same time. You know, if you ask any pastry chef, none of us can do that because for sure we're going to get lost on somewhere. We're going to be like, what was I doing again? Because we are focused on only one thing and you can't fix 
once it's done, it's done. Mm-hmm. And you will only know once it's out. So it's more precise and focused and calm and air conditioning kind of environment. <laughs> so know. where did you train or how did you get into it? Did you apprentice under someone else? What was your... No, I actually, because I started quite late. I, I decided to do that. I was already 23, 24. Mm-hmm. So then it's a bit later in Brazil. Back then there wasn't any kind of... Uh, food culture where you could go and have a stage with someone that was famous. Back then Brazil was like nothing. You know, there is nothing here happening food-wise. So then I was like, if I'm gonna go into that industry in a place where there is nothing, I need to go out. So that's how I, I went to Canada and I trained at the Le Cordon Bleu, mm-hmm. but in Canada, not the one in Paris. Mm-hmm. And then I did a year there. So then I moved to the States and then I came here to England. And how long have you been here? Four years. How are you finding it? I kind of have a, a love and hate relationship with London. Uh-huh. Why is that? It's all right. I won't take it personally. <laughs> because I moved to London to work as a pastry chef. Okay. So I've basically, these four years that I'm here, I've just worked. Okay. So it's not the city itself, but the whole changing of lifestyle that I had. You know, coming from a very small place mm-hmm. and then coming to a city like London working so much and and where have you worked i started working for the hummingbird bakery Mm -hmm. i did tons of cupcakes (laughs) and then i went to be the sous chef at totolengi Mm -hmm. and now i work for the chin chin labs in camden town so all very well all very sweet of course but all all very there is very well-known names in terms of confectionery and baking for us um, and as well, I mean, you must also mention elderflower. Oh yeah, the elderflower cakes was my own business that I had with a couple of friends. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but elderflower, I'm so heartbroken. Um, like, well, I keep saying that elderflower is paused while you go back to <laughs> Brazil for, at the moment it's one year, isn't yeah. it? and then come back and it will rise again. <laughs> oh, she's like a phoenix. <laughs> Because the cake, your cakes are delicious. And what's always beautiful is when you see both uh, ability and creativity coming together. Mm. And that was also you know, absolutely delicious about your work. And I'm very, very going to miss you a lot <laughs> when you go. <laughs> I will. I'm going to not say anything more about it because I'm going to cry. Oh, um, God, the drama. <laughs> oh, my God. But we're sitting here and um, I've just had... A new food sensation for me and when and when you came on the podcast uh, or when you agreed to come on the podcast thank you very much You're very welcome, uh, you told me that you were going to make tapioca mm-hmm. and I went oh okay <laughs> and that's because to me tapioca uh, as as a Brit is a milk pudding like rice pudding um, and they would serve it at school without very much love care attention it probably been sitting and boiling for about four days (laughs) before it arrived (laughs) it it looked kind of like cement and uh (laughs) it wasn't appetizing exactly Mm. Uh, but this isn't a pudding or a milk pudding at all it's much more like well like a pancake or yeah it's like a pancake slash waffle Slash taco, slash quesadilla. It could be like a quesadilla, it could be cheese in it. Yeah, it's a food with many personalities. Yes, it is. Very diverse food. And is it very tradition? Is this 
something that all Brazilians would recognize as a Brazilian food. I think so, yeah. Because when you said we were doing the podcast, mm -hmm. I was like, this is going to be so hard to find something that every single Brazilian knows. Mm. I was like, there is only one thing. <laughs> like, manioc, for sure, it's the thing that everyone has eaten at least once. Okay, so now you use a different term. You said manioc. Yeah. So we were talking about tapioca. Mm. Now you're saying manioc. What's the difference? What? Manioc is the root, okay. which can also be called cassava or yuca. Mm -hmm. so like if you go to Venezuela, they say yuca instead of manioc. And then tapioca is one of the subproducts of manioc. Okay. One of the many things mm. you can do with a gorgeous fruit. Well, uh, yeah, because I know cassava and uh, Africans, West Indians will know cassava mm. as as cassava. Um, and we kind of treat it like a potato and mm -hmm. boil it, add it to soups and stews. Or mash it and turn it into fufu, which is like uh, a dough that you serve with soups mm -hmm. as well or as chips so like sliced mm -hmm. and fried as um, like crisps so um, that's cassava or mm -hmm. manioc to me how would you have had it kind of growing up well most often so then like tapioca like we made today like a pancake it's not very traditional where okay. I'm from it's more traditional from the north part of Brazil okay but we usually would eat the root peeled and boiled in mm -hmm. water Or deep fried. Okay. Which is delicious. <laughs> it is the best thing of all times is deep fried manioc. It's so good. Fried carbs are always... I know. It's deep fried. You, you can't win. You know, it's just like... Full of love. love. Yes. And I think something that everybody eats, we do... We have uh, like a ground flour mm -hmm. also that comes from manioc that we always eat with rice and beans. So if you're going to have like feijoada, mm -hmm. you will always have. It's kind of like we say farofa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a meal, like brown tapioca meal. We always eat it. Okay. And yeah. how would that be prepared? Well, that's one of the processes from the making of tapioca. So they take the juice out mm -hmm. of the root and then they cook the gum in like a very open, like kind of pen mm -hmm. over fire. And they keep drying it until it becomes like a flower. Okay. And then it's a bit toasty, like the color is darker. Mm-hmm. And it's delicious. And so it's you're just as a kind of powder type yeah. product. Okay. okay. It's very powdery. But like really powdery. <laughs> If you eat, you can't talk because you're like, oh, 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 oh. You know? So yeah. But then with the beans, as usually it's a stew and then you have all the, the, the juices. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then it kind of mixes together. The interesting thing about cassava is that it basically has no nutrition. No. At all. It's pretty much just carbs. It has a bit of potassium in there, which is... Great if you've been for a run or something. Um, but so it's essentially like so many, I think, traditional foods is about energy and mm. it kind of um, like potatoes, like rice in mm -hmm. Asia, like polenta in, in Italy. Mm -hmm. It was these kind of starchy, carby foods that people would need to eat in order to work, mm -hmm. you know, whether it was kind of working on the fields or in some sort of labour. It mm -hmm. was about filling up and providing energy in order mm -hmm. to, to work. Once the colonizers came to Brazil and then they realized that all the indigenous people would have that mm. and that it, it was exactly like you said, it's a source of lots of energy in such a cheap thing. Mm. And then they started bringing the crops closer to the coast, especially mm, okay. next to the harbors where the slaves would come in. So that's one of the reasons why we eat rice, beans, and the 
ground flour. So it's that combination of the the food, the, the food of the slaves. Yeah. And the food of the indigenous yeah. tribes, the indigenous Amazonian yeah. peoples of, of Brazil and, and South America. Yeah, and that's how manioc ended up in Africa as well. Okay. Because they would, the colonizers, of course, they found out that having beans and ground manioc was way cheaper than having rice mm-hmm. to feed the slaves. So they would transport lots of flour, of the ground mm-hmm. flour, into the ships. And that's how we started having beans and the flour, the ground tapioca flour. And then they would carry that in the ships throughout, in between Brazil and Africa, while the slave trade happened. Mm-hmm. And that's how it spread it all over the country, because then with the slaves it would go everywhere in Brazil. There's something really important about understanding how closely linked this everyday food that yeah. Brazilians are eating every day for breakfast, giving to their children, that actually it has this history which is yeah. linked to enslavement and you know the labour of mm. of peoples of enslaved peoples. I mean that's it's, it's very. I mean maybe it's a very personal thing as a as a black woman, but but it's it's very moving actually. I, mm. I wonder. I mean obviously this is part of why I wanted to do the podcast is that there's such a history to things that we take for granted mm-hmm. every day and, and what we eat and what it means and how it got here. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, maybe we're eating cassava, but actually the history of how it got yeah. here is an important part of the story as well. So thank well, you. Well, I, I didn't even know about that. It's just when I said that tapioca, I'm like, oh yeah. I was like, oh, maybe it's a good idea to research a little bit about that. <laughs> but I never paid attention to it because you just have it every day and you're like, oh, whatever. Mm. But then once I started researching, I was like, it makes a lot of sense. Because I already knew that rice and beans, the feijoada is a slave food. It, it came to Brazil with the slaves. Mm. So then I was like, that's interesting to know how we ended up eating beans and then the flour. Mm. You know? And it kind of adds to your point about how much of Brazilian culture is, yeah. is indebted to, mm-hmm. to black history, to, yeah. to the slaves. Um, that it's not just music or mm. the arts or you know whatever else it might be but it's you know right down to the food what you would consider yeah. very traditional brazilian the, the national dish yeah is actually a relic of mm-hmm. of food of the slaves yeah that's incredible thank you for that the process of making this tapioca crepe was kind of magical <laughs> <laughs> for me because you have this bag of what looks like flour just a, a kind of plain powder and then you were telling me you told me okay it's gonna become um a crepe and i was like okay and i was waiting for you to add some water to add mm. some milk to turn this powder into a paste that <laughs> would then be magic and, and but no you just <laughs> kind of tipped the flour into the pan patted it down with the back of the spoon and applied heat <laughs> yes that's all it's all it takes what kind of wizardry is this? <laughs> oh, it's years of magic and Hogwarts to be able to do that. No, it's just one of the characteristics of the root. Because there are two different kinds of cassava. Mm-hmm. You have a soft one okay. and you have a bitter one. Okay. The bitter one is poisonous. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, which is crazy. But it makes one of our most delicious things in so, Brazil. So even though it's poisonous, you guys just thought, let's get on with it. <laughs> just have to learn how to do it today. but then no yeah we actually the indigenous people they found out a way of making it not poisonous or a bit a, a, a little less, less a little less poisonous, poisonous. <laughs> yeah so that we could actually eat it so 
main yolk in itself it's like a big root mm-hmm. and it's the skin is like brown mm-hmm. and then the flesh is really white yeah so then you sh- the process starts with they peel the main yolk and then they grate it okay and then they press okay. all the thing so the juice that comes out if you leave it to decant it's going to separate a little bit okay in between gum and juice Okay, so, so you have like a stickier substance, a thicker, yeah. stickier substance, and then, and then a lighter, watery juice. Yeah. Okay. So then they save the gum from the extraction, and they, if they dry that up, you end up with tapioca flour. Okay. And then the juices from the soft one. If you decant it, if you get that gum, you're going to end up with one of the flowers with the starch. And then the gum, if you dry it up, you have the tapioca flour. And if you don't dry as much to make the flour so fine, you actually can roll into bowls and then have the sagu pearls. Or the tapioca pearls, which are the bubbles that you get in bubble tea. Exactly. But then, like in Brazil, you have very tiny ones. Mm -hmm. And that's very typical as desserts. Okay. But then we don't cook it in milk. And we don't make it as a cement. (laughs) Like in British people. Here we cook it in wine. Oh. Mold wine. Oh, it is delicious. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's so good. I have to have you some cinnamon, some cloves, and then you eat with like a condensed milk cream. He says it's big on condensed milk as well. We are. (laughs) I think it's national treasure. um, Yeah, it's Brazil. And then if you dry up the flour in a big pan, like really, really dry, then you end up with the flour, the meal that the slaves would work with, uh, Mm -hmm. with the beans mm. and then from the bitter one once they press and they have the, the juice the poisonous one yeah the poisonous uh-huh. one uh-huh they take the extract of the juice and then you have to boil that for like hours and hours to get the poison out of it and then in this process of boiling it kind of becomes like a stock okay. syrup and then it's really concentrated okay. and it's like bright yellow color mm. and it's tukupi tukupi yeah, which is very famous now because of Alex Atala, the Brazilian chef. That mm-hmm. He uses uh, Amazonian ingredients in his cuisine. He was the one that made Tukupi very famous. But it's very acidic and it's very strong in flavour. So it makes sense now when you describe the, the processing of it and that when you um, squeeze out the juice from the root that you get a gum because the texture of it isn't... It's not like a crepe. I mean, it looks like a crepe. It folds like a crepe or a pancake. But there, it's it is much chewier. It's kind of it reminded me of the texture of, of halloumi cheese and kind mm-hmm. of um, that chewiness. It's like squeakiness, um, or almost when you crunch down into a crumpet, um, it has that that kind of springy mm. texture. Which it's unusual. It's not unpleasant. It's just not the kind of a very familiar mm. texture of, of British food. So. Um, that makes sense now in terms of mm. the actual original product, that it's not a flower, it's actually a kind of desiccated gum. Yeah. What about when you return to Brazil, which isn't very long away now? No. <laughs> what are you going to... Are you going to miss anything about London? What are you going to miss about being here? Or what are you looking forward to about when you get home? Well, I If think you consider it home, I mean, is it still home in I that sense know. to you? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's always going to be a big part of who I am, Brazil. But I think now I appreciate it more mm. now that I've been away for so long. Mm-hmm. Because I've always, I've grown up with a feeling that I didn't belong really well in Brazil. Maybe because I had a different upbringing 
and more Italian than actually Brazilian, you know, the whole thing. I always thought I was like, ah, because Brazil is terrible, it's a bad country, it's so dangerous, blah, 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 you know, the whole thing. And then I left Brazil and I was like, oh, but no, no, not really. <laughs> you know, we are very bad in many things, but we are also amazing in so many others. So I think I became more Brazilian. So, so you're not going to miss anything, so <laughs> No. <laughs> see you. No, I am. Bye, guys. Thanks for Bye, see you. No, uh, no, I think for sure I'm going to miss loads of things. <laughs> I think the diversity is one of the things I love the most about London. Because, as I said before, in Brazil I just have some kind of friends. Mm-hmm. So my social circle is basically everyone is the same. Mm. Whereas here I have so many different friends, you know, so many different backgrounds and from different countries. You know, I know people from, I think, almost all over the world. You know, and it's... I find it's really nice. It's a very humbling experience to get to know so many other people. And then you see how tiny you are, you know, in comparison to the whole of the world. You are like, ah, it's not always about me, is it? No, there's other people out there as well. So I think that's going to be what I miss the most. Mm. And food-wise, fish and chips. And really? <laughs> I love fish and chips. <laughs> it's one of the best things England has ever made. Well done, guys. Fish and chips is delicious. So good. Um, it's it's about kind of touching on six o'clock in the evening, and um, you made yourself a cup of coffee. Yeah. How, which, how many of those have you had today? But today has been an uh, abnormal day, and I only had two. Okay. But I will have another one <laughs> for sure. Because I remember talking to you. At, we were talking earlier on, and you were saying that you know four cups of coffee is yep. is kind of standard, and I. <laughs> it's quite a lot of coffee mm. um, is, is that a you thing or is that a Brazilian thing and coffee is the national well kind of the national drink of, yeah. of Brazil is it were you weaned on it or was it kind of <laughs> breast milk <laughs> coffee <laughs> no it is it is for sure it's, it is a Brazilian thing for example like, in, like here in England if you want to go out with someone you always say like ah, I want to grab a drink want to go mm-hmm. to the pub or anything in Brazil, it's always, let's go out for coffee. So no one is going to invite you, oh, let's go to the bar. Like, oh, I want to go out, hang out, have a coffee. So from that, you can already see that coffee is very big on mm-hmm. our culture. And we are the biggest producers of coffee mm-hmm. in the whole world. It's big. Coffee was for a big part of the Brazilian Republic. It was even defining governments. Mm. Like in Sao Paulo, they had a period of the politics where whoever was in, in charge of the state would come from either one was coffee producers and the other term would be somebody else. And that was known as uh, coffee and milk politics. Ah. Because one would be a coffee one and then the other one somebody else. And then they would change in between them. So, again, I mean, that's so just fascinating. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm learning so much, but also that it... it it really drives home how how central food and food production is to yeah. to everything. So to now to politics, mm-hmm. you know, that actually having a, a stake in in the political system was about was associated with coffee mm-hmm. production or being, you know, an estate owner or or whatever it might be. That's really interesting. Where can people find you if they want to ask questions or follow your adventures? Are you on social media? Can we... I am actually. I am 
most active on Instagram, I okay. would say. And they can find me with my name, F. Vanzen. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm also on Twitter now, I just joined it today. <laughs> but I am under Pam Kaka, which okay. is a play on words with pancakes. I see. Portuguese. So I will, I'll add those to the show notes yes. on the website oh, cool. so people can just click through and follow you and uh, catch up if there's any mm-hmm. additional questions. And from my side, I just want to say thank you so much for oh, inviting me into your kitchen, for introducing me to the wonders of tapioca and for actually quite an impressive history lesson, mm-hmm. a geography lesson, um, <laughs> kind of social anthropology it's it's been really really interesting thank you for welcoming me you know to talk about brazilian food (laughs) not everyone is interested in that you know well i think the more people will be after this so hopefully thank you you're welcome and that's it I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Francesca. I certainly learned a lot from talking to her. If you want to follow her adventures when she returns to Brazil, head over to Instagram where you can find her at fvenzon, so that's F-V-E-N-Z-O-N, or on Twitter where she is, and I'll spell this, P-A-M, that's M for Mike, K-E-K-A, P-A-M-K-E-K-A. Thanks again to Francesca for inviting me into her home and to all of you for tuning in. Coming up in future episodes, I'll be looking at the impact of food on memory and looking at some of the complex issues around obesity and compulsive eating. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, I wish you the very best of health. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.